Julia is in the back for anyone with children so that they can get their bible bags with activities for this morning's service. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we gather this morning, we have come to hear your words. And Lord, this morning you give us promises of restoration and life. Would you allow those promises to dwell deeply within us? Amen. Every year, the lectionary cycles with us through the church calendar, from Advent through Christ the King Sunday. And so then every Lent, the lectionary brings with it specific lessons for us to learn. And as I read through this morning's passages, and as I looked back over the lessons from the last few weeks, I was overwhelmed with the promise of new life that God offers us. But to fully understand God's promise of new life, we're going to need a little bit of background. And so let's go back to Genesis. In the beginning, before anything was made, before there were even elements atoms and gases, there was the word, Jesus, who was God. And we are told that the word was life. So our God, who is life itself, then pours his life out in creation. And he brings up plants and animals, birds, fish, and then humans. And he breathes life into humanity. God's creation was good, and it was teeming with God's life, overflowing with the abundance of God's presence. And creation was a place of freedom. It was freedom for life together, for relationship with one another, for relationship between humanity and God. But freedom for relationship also brings with it the opportunity for freedom from relationship. And all parents know this, right? As we provide opportunity for our children to live in relationship with us and with others, they also have the opportunity to choose to opt out of that relationship. And unfortunately, in Genesis, this is exactly what happens. Adam and Eve are told that if they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, if they seek that knowledge, goodness, and life independently of God, then they will surely die. Since life, goodness, and knowledge are not available without God, who is the source of that life, creation breaks. And the result is the world in which we live. Afterwards, Adam and Eve's immediate response to hearing God walking in the garden, seeking relationship with them, is to hide from God. And when God holds them accountable for their actions, Adam and Eve blame each other, they blame the creatures, and they blame God. And we see the death of relationships between humans and the death of relationships between God and humanity. And that destruction is expressed even further in the curse that is a result of their independence. That... Wives will seek their husbands, but their husbands will rule over them. 
It's not quite the relationship God designed when he created humans. And then we also see the entrance of pain and death and decay into our world and into our bodies. So we're told that women will have pain in childbearing and that men will toil to work the ground, but the ground will work against them. And we're told that both men and women will return to the dust from which they are taken in very literal death. So creation becomes a broken place, and it manifests this death in many ways. It's a place that now includes pain, sorrow, tears, wars, illness, death, disease, broken relationships, broken lives. You all know this. This is the world in which we all live. But fortunately, this is not the end of the story. We serve a God of grace and redemption, and he refuses to leave creation in this broken state. We're given the promise of final, complete restoration. And God promises that once again, like in creation, God's dwelling place will be among the people. And that when that happens, the curse of the garden will be removed. That the tree of life will bear fruit for the healing of the nations. So all of the wars that we see in our lives and in our world will cease. There will be no more disruption of relationships between ethnicities, between countries, between economic status, between genders. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain. And creation will once again have freedom for relationship and will have life restored. Until then, God reaches into our broken world, reminding us that he hasn't abandoned us to death and brokenness. Yes, these stories in scripture and these stories in our lives are unusual. They're told and recounted in scripture and in the church because they're not the normal pattern of life. They're signs of God's redemption of the brokenness. And they're signs that this brokenness is not all there is, but that God is still at work restoring the world to himself, restoring humans to one another, and setting us free from decay and death. Each of the stories of scripture that is a promise of new life is a sign, it's a foretaste of what is yet to come. So these forms of redemption are all intertwined in the ancient world, just as the forms that we see in the curse are intertwined. Broken community can be the result of either broken relationship with God or of sickness and disease. And the ill are often restricted from their communities and often restricted from worship of God in the temple. But our gospel lessons from the last few weeks are signs to us that human relationships and relationship with God and the brokenness of our physical bodies are all being restored. So we're going to take just a moment to recall those stories. Three weeks ago, we read the story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and we heard Jesus teach Nicodemus and teach us about restored relationship with God. Then two weeks ago, we studied the Samaritan woman at the well. 
She's a woman without power in her society, and she goes to the well in the middle of the day, away from the other women, away from prying or judging eyes and comments. And this Samaritan woman is experiencing death of relationship. She's isolated from her own community. And then Jesus arrives and speaks with her. And he restores her to relationship with her community by sending her back as one of the first witnesses of the work that God is doing in the world and that God has come to live among us. Then there's last week's story of the healing of the man born blind. He's a beggar dependent on others for his survival because of the brokenness of his body. And when he encounters Jesus, Jesus puts mud on his eyes, sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man comes back seeing. He then proclaims that Jesus must be from God because no one but God can open the eyes of a man born blind. And because his body is restored, his relationship to his community is also restored, and his connection to God is renewed. So in our lessons for today, we see the redemption of the last part of that curse. We see God literally redeeming the world from the curse of death. We're given the promise of resurrection this morning. We already read this morning the prophecy of Ezekiel. There is a multitude of dead, dry bones. Death is abundant, and God asks, can these bones live? Now, any normal person would look at these bones and say, no, there's no life in this place. But Ezekiel's a prophet, and he knows better. And so he tells God, Lord, you alone know. And so God tells Ezekiel to prophesy And the bones come back together, and muscle and tendons come on the bones, and skin covers the bodies. And then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the Spirit. And the Spirit breathes spirit, or life, into these bodies. And they stand on their feet. God brings very literal life out of very real death. He promises, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And this prophecy is not just an Old Testament promise. God breaks into our world in a new and dramatic way when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us in the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, literally God with us. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God has come near in his life and work, and we see God's powerful demonstration of what the kingdom looks like as Jesus forgives sins, restores people to community, heals illnesses, and raises people from the dead. And he does all of this repeatedly through the Gospels just like we saw in the lessons from the past few weeks. And he does it all the way to the cross, where he will die, and then in the ultimate sign of new life, be raised from the dead. Jesus will defeat death and its hold over the world. Today's gospel lesson is from John 11. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus. 
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are three of Jesus' friends. So when Lazarus becomes sick, the sisters send word to Jesus. But before he travels to Bethany, he is aware that Lazarus has already died. So when he arrives, Martha rushes out to meet him. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. That's a pretty strong proclamation of faith in the face of death and loss. And this is the place, the conversation where Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus wept with Mary and Martha and the others over the death of Lazarus. He knows and he understands the pain and the grief of this broken world. He understands the consequences of the fall and of sin. But Jesus also knows that death does not have the last word. And so he tells the sisters to remove the stone from the grave. And he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out with his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his head. The kingdom of God is revealed in Lazarus's living, breathing body. His life is literally restored. And as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, we are reminded that the curse of death does not hold us. Lazarus is a reminder that we also will be raised with Jesus. In two weeks, we'll celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We will travel through Holy Week, experiencing Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples, their fear in the Garden of Gethsemane, their grief in the death and burial of Jesus. And we will travel the reality of this broken world through Holy Week. But then Easter Sunday will come, and we will live in the reality of the resurrection. The kingdom of God is very tangibly revealed in the defeat of death by the Son of God. And we are invited to participate in his life and his kingdom. We are invited to recognize the reality that God is continually redeeming our world until the day when his kingdom will be fully realized. So this morning, we're going to invite you to participate in the sacrament of communion. This is a time to remember our brokenness, our sin, pain, and mortality. But communion is also a continual sign of Jesus' return, when his promised redemption will be completely fulfilled. Communion is a time for us to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. And it's a sign of the heavenly banquet where we will eat with God.